there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. It's just a flip-flop, because normally Dr. Batar's with us next hour, but he's got to catch a flight. I just got back in studio, so we're doing it a little bit differently. I'm going to do the show on my head, and Dr. Batar is actually going to be here. Who knows what he's going to talk about? In fact, I think we should go ahead and turn this hour over to Super Don. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's great. In fact, you said that Super Don's the most prepared, and I was like, What's different than every other show for the last <laughs> Yes. Year, so. All right. Well, that that would make it uh, two hours of or one hour of knock knock jokes. I'm oh no. Yeah. no. <laughs> yes. So anyway, I just oh, okay. you know here I have been previewing that Dr. Batar is going to be with us in Orlando at the Truth About Cancer live in a couple of weeks, and then I get a call from TMB, our good buddy Ty Bolin. He says, "Tell Batar, don't even bother." Don't even bother. He hasn't signed something he's supposed to sign. He won't tell us what he's eating at the at the big gala. So what am I supposed to say to Ty? Is that something I can even, you know, say you're coming anyway? Well, what should I say? Tom, thank you so much for uh, relieving me from that obligation. It's going to me more time to do some of the things I have to get done. <laughs> no, that's not the right answer. <laughs> Electronically no, I'll, I'll, sign uh, that thing. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll figure out what it is and and we'll take care of it. So it's kind of funny that the only way Ty and I can communicate is via you. I'm sure he. I sent him a message, and uh, I guess basically because of my schedule right now, it's been really tight, and I just haven't seen it. So um, I appreciate the message. I appreciate the uh, the Pony Express message. All right. Do you still have your four buddies planning to come to dinner, or shall I cancel them too? Yeah. Well. Yeah. They're gonna they're gonna be there. They're gonna be there. He just needs to know what they want to eat. It's like a vegetarian salmon or organic grass-fed uh, filet. I mean, it's, it's why are we totally this on the radio? <laughs> because everybody needs to know how prepared you are for. Actually, oh, no. The one thing that's really important you are prepared for, and you've been prepping for a while, is is that special presentation you're going to be given as a keynote uh, there at the Truth About Cancer. And also, remember that big uh, crowd that was on stage that I had to moderate. Yeah, I think it was a panel that they forgot to put you on. Yeah, yeah. This year, this year, uh, I think you're on in advance, but I got to find a way to kick other people off. There's like 86 people on this panel. I don't know how I'm going to do it. <laughs> you can remove me from there if you want, Robert. No problem. <laughs> okay, I will. I will have you removed by like so, something that'll be very funny. Anyway, all right, it's advanced medicine. Why not do some advanced medicine while we're joking around with each other? That's okay, isn't it? I think there are some Absolutely. stories to cover. In fact, we even have a, a question of the day that came in. I think we can actually open with. And, uh, well, let's see. Where, let me see if I can find it just right, because there it is for Dr. Batar. Yes, hello, Dr. Bell, Dr. Batar. Hello. I just recently had a colostomy. It's to be for six months and then reversed. Okay, I had a question about that in a moment, Dr. Batar. So they, they did a colostomy that they did for temporary sake, and then they reverse it? Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's you, normal. It's, okay. So, so basically... Um, it's called the takedown. It's a colostomy is sometimes done to divert the flow of uh, intestinal contents to allow for either healing or some other type of process to take place uh, on a temporary basis. And then once that um, tissue, that area has recovered and there's no issue with it anymore, then they'll go ahead and t- 
take what they refer to as a takedown. They take the colostomy down and then reanastomose the bowel, and uh, everything should start working again. Um, it's it's one of those things that the hope is always that a colostomy is a temporary measure, mm-hmm. and oftentimes they know that it's not going to be temporary, but it's still a, a option to take it down if the person does recover from that problem. So it's it's just a think of it as a highway, and mm-hmm. it's a uh, construction site that's taking place. So on that highway, they have a a uh, road that diverts, so it's not the same interstate. And yeah. then once the interstate has been repaired, then they'll reopen back up and take take the old the, the temporary highway away or temporary road away. And that's the takedown. That's the cost. Takedown. Take well, I tell you what, they're going to have to do a takedown on me. I'm not going to let them cut my intestines out. But then again, I was I was on that route, Doctor Batar, for the first 24 years of my life. I had horrible gut health. We've talked about it in my you know my two year uh, journey to health and and healing to uh, to recover my intestinal integrity. Uh, so this is interesting. Again, I had not heard about the temporary nature. I'm glad that it exists, though, because, you know, the kids that I've seen over the years, the teens I've talked about, some of which uh, have had these colostomies, they weren't reversed. And so that's why I hadn't heard about it. The people that I had seen and helped after the fact, uh, th- they never said anything about an intention to reverse. Yeah, so colostomy takedowns are done quite often if there's a, for example, uh, an intussusception uh, or a volvulus, mm-hmm. and they'll resect the area of the bowel, and if it's not, uh, if it doesn't appear that the person will be able to tolerate that, they may do a temporary colostomy. Okay. And so it's, it's sometimes also done for cancer, obviously, and then once the cancer is not an issue anymore or the mass obstruction has been removed and the flow area, the flow is um, able Restored. to start yeah. again, right, then they'll go ahead and take the colostomy down. You said so that it's, word. It's a pretty conventional. Intussusception, Correct. Right, intussusception, right? And that's like a, a collapse of some kind. Uh, and, and I remember that, wasn't Paul Offit involved in the production of a vaccine that actually caused that? Um, I'm not sure. I know It that was the, the rotavirus, the rotavirus, rotavirus vaccine. That's what I remember. And kids were yeah. dying because of that very thing as a response to his vaccine. Well, SIDS was also related to the whooping cough, the, um, the whole... Uh, the whole the cell whole pertussis? Cell. Yes, the whole cell yeah. pertussis. That's the one that was associated with uh, SIDS. And, in fact, the father-son team, um, David and uh, Mark Geyer, had yes. done the studies to show that that was what happened. And, of course, when they got rid of the wild uh, pertussis, the whole cell pertussis, then there was a dramatic decrease in the incidence of SIDS. So the intersusception part, I'm not uh, – so sure off, but uh, I do remember there was a virus, a vaccine for a virus that did cause some bowel issues. I don't remember the details, but intussusception is basically where it, if, if you think of a sock that kind of folds over itself and comes back, so intussusception is where part of the bowel will go in, that tunnels in itself. So it's kind of like a fold back and then fold yeah. back over. So it's going the same direction. So that's an intussusception. A volvulus is basically a twisting of the bowel. Oh, my goodness. Well, again, I, I do remember that. I don't know if it was called the Rotatech or a uh, predecessor of Rotatech, but it was a rotavirus vaccine. And Offit, your your friend Paul Offit worked on, and it was uh, his vaccine that caused that. So uh, Linda, Linda continues on this um, temporary, as you said, takedown. Uh, she said, I had been suffering from diverticulitis and, and been put on antibiotics several times. I also had microscopic colitis. Uh, she would really appreciate our help in preparing her intestines for the upcoming surgery to get the best results and then know how to keep them 
healthy. So am I to think that her, she, in the sequence of things, it sounds like they're going to reverse this, which I'm, I'm happy to hear about for Linda's sake. And you know, I've been lecturing around the world on the issue of an unusual use for silver because of its use on epithelial tissue in burn care centers. I found the same benefit if we use it intestinally, that it would be acting like an injury or wound care internally. If we delivered it there with aloe, we found that we could cool inflammation and upregulate regeneration of tissue. Uh, but, of course, you can't continue to live the same lifestyle and the same diet that created the problem to begin with, Linda. So that would be one thing, I'd, my, my consideration and preparation for you. Uh, Dr. Batari, you might have some other thoughts on this since you, you, you were very aware of this beforehand. Yeah, so we have a very specific regimen uh, protocol that we take patients through before surgery. Any kind of surgery, doesn't matter what type of surgery. And based on the response from patients and especially the surgeons, um, from plastic surgeons to orthopedic surgeons to general surgeons that have done abdominal bowel surgeries, mm-hmm. we have had some very, very dramatic responses in the rate of healing where if it takes, say, 10 days normally to heal, it'll take anywhere from three to five days to heal. And the, re- the rate of recovery is also not only faster, but it's better. So scar formation is different. Yes. And uh, so the patient tolerates the, the procedures much easier. There's less downtime, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a very specific regimen. Um, it basically, it, it involves um, minerals, and we do it usually IVs. It's, it's basically three days, and then there's... Um, there's also two protocols that people take by mouth, and um, one of those mm-hmm. is uh, the drops of life. And basically what I would suggest is if she's interested in getting that information, just contact the office. Okay. Uh, contact my office, and they'll kind of tell her what she can do. She doesn't have to come in. There's something she can do at home, or she can come in to do the whole thing. I don't know where she's located, but there's sure. a very specific component that we use for any type of surgery, and bowel surgery especially. So anything that involves the soft tissue, is going the bones a little bit different like if you're going to have a hip replacement or you've got some type of orthopedic procedure you know, mm-hmm. like a laminectomy or something like that uh, or a prosthesis that's being placed or removed or something like that that's a little bit different and mm-hmm. it's a very similar protocol that we do but when it's soft tissue is a slight difference and uh, like you said you want to optimize a person you know well hydrated well mineralized nutritionally up um, i would say that uh, step up your exercise program you know the week two weeks before just just get your body stronger. And it's just amazing how the body jumps back. But the the one key component, um, if she contacts the office, they will tell her. And she you can actually, uh, she can just tell them that we talked about this on the radio show. And, sure. uh, and one of the staff members will be able to help her. She can ask so, Davina. And, uh, Davina. All right. Uh, um, Linda, go to drbutar.com. You'll get the phone number there, drbuttar.com, drbuttar.com. And does this same protocol help for removing Ty's shoe or boot from your butt for not signing the thing he wants you to sign, Dr. Yeah, Bittar? I, I, I don't know about that. You know, I'll have to look and see what he wants me to sign because I haven't seen anything about anything, any signatures. But I'll, as you know, I'm catching a flight in about two hours. So I, I know, I know. For look, a couple hours, look so. all I can yeah. say is that I have done my duty. <laughs> and, to God's and, country and time. Yes, yes, and I'm not sticking my boot anywhere. But uh, anyway, that, okay. that, uh, look, we're just, I just want to be sure that all of our fans get to see you there. I don't want you banned from the truth about cancer. That's all. I'm looking out for yeah. you, my friend. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> okay, so let's see what else we got on uh, on tap here. Super Don, uh, you can't stray far today because uh, we're both equally unprepared to do a radio show together, although I think it's going well so far. <laughs> so uh, as far as other stories we're going to cover, ooh, this one's a good one. 
sugar over sex, almost half of those polled would rather give up sex for a year than sacrifice their daily sugar hit. So this is a very interesting statement, just the statement itself, because it shows two problems. Mm. It shows that, one, when, when the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, one of those is the need to procreate, right? Right. The need to perpetuate the species. And if somebody's sex drive is decreased, that to me is a definite sign of imbalance and, and not being healthy. So people think absence of disease is health, and that is absolutely not true. Absence of disease is not health. You've got health on one side, you've got disease on the other side. Middle of the road, absence of health does not mean that you're healthy. And this is no. one of the things. Sex, sex is the desire for sex, the need to procreate is one of those ways that I measure that. Hold on, we're up against that. the break. We're going to have to wait for more discussion about what you would choose, sugar or sex, and what does that say about you? Oh, yeah, we're going there. This is the Robert Scott Bell Show, special early edition of Advanced Medicine. Did you say that masked man was? It's a bird. It's a plane. Robert Scott Bell. Here I come to save the day. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. If you're just tuning in, you're wondering, hey, how come Dr. Batar's on the show already? Well, he's early. He's early. Oh, mark this date. Actually, he's early so he can be early and not late for his flight. We're all going to see him in Orlando at the Truth About Cancer Live coming up. Those of you who are new to the program here, the Robert Scott Bell Show, special advanced medicine segments every Monday. And we, uh, well, we really appreciate so much what Dr. Batar has done to help so many, so many children as well. Uh, that were vaccine injured into the autism spectrum, a book that he has written, if you haven't found about, out about it yet, an international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. You can see it. I'm um, pointing to it now if you're watching on YouTube. We have a video screen of me in studio, and you can find that at robertscatbell.com, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. So, Dr. Bittar, again, the great controversy, sugar or sex? I'm thinking, why do they have to be in either or, except that if people are choosing sugar over sex, uh, yes, there is an imbalance. We've talked about mineral deficiencies. Remember we, we met with Chris Barr, my buddy, uh, with the big beard when we were out together at the Best Answer for Cancer. We talked about the chromium issue. And, you know, there are, there are so many things that, that, you know, these mineral imbalances can result in, let's say, aberrant desires, right, maybe that are not good for us. Like, do we really need more sugar over sex? Well, that's one part of it, Robert. Mm-hmm. You're right. That's one part of it. And the part that I was actually talking about right before the break was actually opposite. And, and let me mm-hmm. talk about that first, because I think that's, a, that's probably more important. This is an indication. Is, is the sound coming okay across? Yeah, you right sound now? great right okay. now. I love it. Okay. Keep it up. Okay. So here's, a, here's the thing. Yes, it's remarkable that people would give up sex uh, for sugar, but the point is that we have disease and the lack of disease. So people think, if you think on the left-hand side is extreme disease, and on the right-hand side is lack of disease, that's erroneously equivalated to health, and that is not the case. You've got disease on the far left. Absence of disease is not on the far right. It's not the opposite side of the spectrum. It's in the middle. And then on the far right is health. Now, if you have uh, no desire for sex or low desire for sex, for, for, low desire for sex, not sex, for sex, in the middle, you're in the middle somewhere. You're not mm-hmm. healthy. You are 
in a in a lack of disease, yes, but you are not in a state of health because I believe that when your body is healthy, when your mind is healthy, you're going to have a strong desire for sex or at least a healthy desire for sex. Mm-hmm. In USA Today some years ago, I was amazed. I saw a headline that said something like, 60-some percent, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was well over uh, 50%, it was well over half the population. I think it was like 62 or 68% of men over the age of 35. I mean, 35 is young. Yeah. Over the age of 35 are impotent. And I couldn't believe wow. when I read that statistic. Now, just think about it. That shows you the state of health of our population, because this is an indirect measurement. Sure, there's no studies that I've done that I can, uh, that I can uh, equivalent to that, but I will tell you that... At a certain point, even when somebody's uh, health may not be good, they may be suffering from uh, cancer or heart disease, but they have a good, healthy mm-hmm. sex drive, I know that their system is moving in the right direction. Because mm-hmm. there are people that may have a serious health condition, but their desire for sex is still there. And there are other people that may not have cancer or heart disease, but their sex, desire for sex is not there. So people will say that one, uh, one is different and the other one is different. I would not agree with that. I would say that it is a... A barometer, it is an indication of which way your body is going. Because if your body, if you don't have a desire for sex, um, then your body's going in the wrong direction. Just like, for example, exercise, you know, when we talk, sex and exercise are very, very much the same. If you think about it, you increase your heart rate, you, you know, your vessels dilate, there's a whole uh, sympathetic response that takes place during sex, which is a similar uh, response that you have during exercise. So to me, sex and exercise are synonymous. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or very close to being synonymous. There may be certain other benefits with sex that you don't get with exercise. Um, there's a there's a parasympathetic uh, overdrive in the beginning of sex, and then there's a sympathetic uh, ending. So that's the the autonomic nervous system aspect I'm talking about. But sure. regardless, it's it's very very synonymous. Now. The other aspect of this is the sugar. If a person has a desire for sugar, and the more, as you know, candida uh, or, or uh, you know, fungus, basically, if a person is having a craving for sugar, that's one of the very general uh, indications when somebody craves sugar that they may, they may have a fungal issue, they may have an imbalance issue. But it's also one of those things that sugar inside any machine will shut down the engine. But we are an engine, we are the ultimate engine, and yet we keep on putting sugar inside our system, and sugar is addictive. There's some great, great books that have been written about how sugar is so evil. In fact, I used to be called uh, a sugar buster or, or a doctor that hated sugar. But sugar had so many detrimental effects, and I think it causes a positive feedback or a negative feedback loop to be initiated. So the more you do it, the more addicted you become, just like narcotics or anything else that people get addicted to that are not good for you. Well, the people that are addicted to sugar, and they hear you say, stop the sugar, they might call you Dr. Evil, but I know you're not. <laughs> you're a good guy. Help what about folks the people out. That, what about people who love sex, though? Then what would they Oops. call them? <laughs> In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, there's a study that was just published in Arthritis and Rheumatology. And it's another study that talks about stress and the impact on health or the creation of disease, the contributing factors that stress plays to disease. Now, I've said this, and we've talked about this, Dr. Batar, a number of times, how you know, stress is, is part of life. It's how you respond to stress. 
you know, how, how you uh, deal with what, I'm not going to say what life throws at you because a lot of times our belief systems kind of manifest in ways that we can't even imagine. We, we have a hard time conceiving that we took any part in, in some of the creation of the things that happen in our life. But this article talks about specifically PTSD-type stress. And they said people suffering uh, with PTSD are thrice. This must be out of Great Britain. They use the term thrice. Uh, three times as likely to develop lupus. An autoimmune disease, stress related to lupus. Are you surprised? I am not surprised at all. That is, I, that's not. Uh, there's nothing surprising about that. Lupus. You would also uh, expect the same thing with scleroderma, uh, maybe even with myasthenia gravis. So some of these autoimmune, or what I call hyperimmune response issues, uh, they are very much related to stress. In fact, stress is. If you think about the seven toxicities that I describe in the book, Robert, mm-hmm. uh, the fifth toxicity, as you've heard me talk about even during the, some of the lectures we've gave at the Advanced Medicine Seminars together and, and at the Cancer Conference, I talk about the significance of the fifth toxicity, which is emotional psychological uh, toxicity. And that's, in fact, the subject of the book that I'm writing right now, which we talked about the conflict. That's going to be the lecture that I'm going to give on right. uh, at, the, at the Truth About Cancer. But it all comes back to that emotional psychological toxicity is inducing a higher state of oxidative stress. And that oxidative stress is what's causing an individual the same type of damage, like heavy metals or persistent organic pollutants. Sometimes it's even worse because we can't measure it, and so we think, you know, it's, it's all in our head. Well, stress is not in your head. Stress causes a physiological impact. It causes vasoconstriction of your blood vessels. It causes an increase in um, muscle tone spasms, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the whole endocrine a cascade that gets elicited with the stress hormones, adrenal glands, and it throws off your thyroid, it throws off the sex uh, hormones. It, it, it's so cataclysmic that we have to understand that the aspects of it, like meditation, grounding, um, exercise is one of the reasons I, I push exercise so much because it's a natural antidote to stress because it's an mm-hmm. outlet. You know, think of a car engine that's revving up, but the exhaust uh, is blocked. I think of the movie with Eddie Murphy when he sticks the bananas in the exhaust pipe to keep the cops from chasing, right? That's what yes. happens. It, it, everything gets stopped. It, you can't move anymore. So mm-hmm. if you can have a good exhaust system, i.e. the um, exercise, it's a good way of getting rid of a lot of that buildup that helps you reduce that stress, which is reducing oxidative stress, which now allows the body to continue uh, moving in the right direction. So I'm not surprised with this study. In fact, I would say that it should be in a moment of doubt because it's actually yeah. going to be applicable to all, all disease processes, cancer, heart disease, you know, everything. But the auto, hyperimmune responses, autoimmune diseases, absolutely, without a doubt. Super Don, are you surprised to hear that? The emotional state, the PTSD leading to autoimmune conditions, hyperimmune functions and such? I'm not. I mean, you know, the, the physical manifestation of emotions is something that you know that i've known about for a long time but it's it's really interesting to see that science is catching up on this mm-hmm. well the, you know? the, the the what used to be considered fringe medicine body mind spirit right it becomes now like you say dr batar a moment of duff you don't see that like where have you been i mean even even doctors for goodness sake even though their their training is not largely focused there if they don't come out and begin to learn about this and connect with it, they're going to lose all of their patients because certainly the people themselves are saying, you know what, I think I'm more than just a lump of physical molecules at this point. 
And, uh, you know, if, if modern medicine is going to change, it's not going to be because they're changing the curricula so much as the people are leaving. And they're going to say, we better change the curricula if we want doctors to become doctors. They're also going to go, why should I get into, go into debt if there are no patients for me? Well, just uh, a few weeks ago, from what I understand, Louise Hayes passed. And mm-hmm. she was uh, a forerunner in this arena and had written a number of uh, books. And one of those was about the emotions associated with certain disease conditions. And, you know, we tend to forget that some of the stuff that we're talking about right now, some of this has been people have wor- worked on this 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Right. Um, I actually found a book in a bookstore that is an old book, in the, I think it's printed in the 1930s, and it was actually talking about similar stuff to what Dr. Maxwell Maltz talked about, which was the self-image, the visualization aspect. He was a plastic surgeon, mm-hmm. and I think we've talked about this on the show before, but this book that I found recently has such amazing techniques in there, and it's all to do with the mind, and they actually, in the book, wrote that they felt that in the next three to five years, medicine would be turned on its head because more and more doctors would start using this. They actually wholeheartedly believed back then, so we're talking, you know, what, 80 years ago, 85 years ago, that they, slow. this was going to become, well, they, yeah, they were thinking that this was going to become mainstream, and it, of course, hasn't, but I am going to be including some of that information in this book because it is so important, and and the world needs to know it because it's, it's almost been forgotten. I didn't even know about it. I'd never even heard of these people. I'd never read the book. It was all torn up, and, you know, why would somebody buy an old book like that? I just picked it up and started reading it, and I was like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. And I kept on being drawn back to that old bookstore, yes. like there was something there that was missing that I needed to find. Right. And sure enough. So anyway, it's, it's very, very important to recognize the role of stress in pathology. And mm-hmm. as Paul Allen wrote in his book, As a Man Thinketh, the brain is the master, the body is a servant. The, the body only does the bidding of the brain. If there's something wrong with the body, that means there's something wrong with the brain. If you want to fix the body, you must first fix what's in, and I keep on saying brain, now, excuse me, it's the mind, not mm-hmm. the brain. There's a difference between the brain and the yes. mind. So if you want to fix the body, you must first fix the mind, because the mind is not, not the servant. It is the body that is the servant of the mind. So you want to fix something, fix the mind, then you can fix the body. And this is a very, very powerful concept as a man think it's a classic book over 100 years old yeah again it comes to the 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 belief system about life itself can determine not only your experiences but certainly how you interact relate to those experiences why you know two people on a seemingly equivalent path uh just very differently in in how one succeeds and one fails uh however we define that but the reality is it is up to us to determine how we overcome or become theoretical, not actual, but theoretical belief victims of what life throws at us if we perceive life to throw things at us. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's, the, the, that's another aspect of why I think why so many people end up getting divorced, because over 50%, statistically over 50% of marriages end in divorce. And I think that's, mm-hmm. again, you know, two different people, they, they see things from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And we tend to sometimes, um, just like what you talk about, that the Thinking things differently then will lead to conflict, and conflict sometimes, like you said, one person succeeds, one person fails. It's the same mindset. What was the difference, and what is the secret of, of uh, resolving that conflict, like whether it's between business partners, whether it's between friends, whether it's between husband and wife? Regardless, when that conflict re- is retained and, and is not resolved, truly resolved, then it will cause a state of 
unease or dis-ease, and that mm-hmm. dis-ease is disease as we know it, and then that leads to chronic disease. Chronic conflict will lead to chronic disease, and it comes right back to that whole thing about stress. Because right. when, you have, uh, when you have some type of a conflict, you have a subclinical uh, level of it's like a subclinical infection. It festers there, so it's it's not like a stress, but God forbid, car accident or something like that, or you fell off a ladder. It's it's a it's a subclinical chronic stress. It's always there in the back. It's always running. The program's always running, and it wears a person down. It festers and becomes yes. an abscess, and I think that's where cancer starts. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And you you talk about the term conflict. There's, this next story goes to the heart of that. The doctor-patient relationship, the conflict there. Should there be a conflict? Ideally, not. I mean, you'd want to work together and not have other uh, outside interference. Uh, but it, like in California, of course, they said you can't um, uh, t- send your kids to school without vaccination. No religious exemption either. And now a lot of uh, pediatricians we've talked about this are firing their patients because they refuse to get allow their kids to be vaccinated. And I say, you know, that's good, good riddance because the, the, those doctors, I, I don't want them treating my kids, and those those people will be better off for it. But now the NHS, the National Health Service in, in England, those of you listening in the UK. Apparently, they're now refusing service to smokers, obese patients, etc., until they go to health boot camp for six months. That's interesting when they're talking about the expenditures uh, for what they call public health, but it's only individual health. Well, I think that's actually a good thing, Robert, myself. I think that uh, forcing people to take personal responsibility, which is one of the things that's lacking in our modern-day society, personal responsibility is lacking. And I think that to have a smoker or somebody who's obese take those the health boot camp, as you called it, I think that's a great idea because it'll force people that um, to, to take initiative and to take self-responsibility. It's kind of like people don't even know what they can do until you put them in a situation. And I had uh, an argument with, uh, with a friend recently. They said, no, that's not right. You can't you know, force a person to do something. And I said, listen, if that was the case, then when people join the military, sure, they don't, they don't necessarily get forced to join the military, but a lot of them, once they get in, they realize this isn't what they signed up for. You know, they were mm-hmm. promised travel all over the world, but now they've got the drill sergeant screaming at them, and, and a lot of these kids want to go back home. They don't want to be yeah. in the military, but then in the next six to eight weeks, they're transformed into responsible soldiers, and, and it, it was the best thing that ever happened to them. So sometimes you have to put a person in that situation to let them know what they're capable of, and a smoker and an obese person, there's other issues of self-worth and self-images and all these other things that would be dramatically impacting their health if they could mm-hmm. just break that cycle and then they can achieve health. But to try to achieve health with those habits, there's no way you can do it. Right. And, and the question I have about this, is, is it the concept? I think it's an interesting concept, and I'm not, I'm not opposed to it, especially if you're getting your, your, your neighbors to pay for your treatment, and yet you haven't done what it takes to, for instance, be well so that you're not a drain on the taxpayer in the case of the NHS, which is a socialized system. Uh, so the question is, what do they offer in terms of this health boot camp? Are they giving them clean food, clean water? Are they working with the liver to detoxify them? And I'll hazard a guess that they're probably not. So it's sort of like a halfway thing. It'll be a calorie thing. It'll be all about, hey, let's reduce calories. Let's make you work out, which don't get me wrong. There'll be some benefit there. But the, uh, the idea would be in a, a, a system of freedom that you would uh, you know, give the option to genuinely break the cycle of this uh, uh, continuous self-destructive behavior, which also goes back to what you said about emotional and psychological uh, toxicity. Right. The problem is, though, that I think that's you're, you're kind of showing your utopian nature, maybe, because um, that in a perfect world, maybe that would be the case. But you've got to remember, mm-hmm. those people, if they're, if they're smoking and they're obese, 
That means they haven't learned the fundamental things about diet and exercise, and you can't talk about uh, doing something with the liver because that's, that's, they wouldn't even understand that. So you got to well, take it baby steps at a time. Baby steps. But apparently, apparently, this next story we're going to get to when we come back from the break is showing that more and more doctors are now open to the things Dr. Batar has been saying for many years. Let's check into that and more. Advanced Medicine continues here on the Robert Scott Bell Show after this. You're listening to the Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. Years ago, as we wrap up advanced medicine this hour with Dr. Batar, 10 years ago, if you asked this question, what are one quarter of all cancer patients using? I'm not sure the answer would have been this. Well, if you haven't guessed already, yes, 25% of all cancer patients apparently are using medical cannabis now. And it used to be, Dr. Batar, remember early stage uh, discussion of this years ago was about the side effects of chemo or cachexia because it would stimulate appetite. But man, it's, right. it's blown up well beyond that now. Well, you know, I, I think, let me tell you my personal opinion about this. I think that it's good that people are aware of the benefits of uh, cannabis. I agree with that. But I also feel that it's somewhat irresponsible because a lot of people are thinking that that's a panacea. And as you know, mm. it is not a panacea. It is not going to get rid of the toxicities. It's not going to deal right. with the emotional, psychological issues. It's not going to deal with the tumor burden. It's not going to deal with the mass effect. It's not going to deal with the immune response. Yes, it's going to stimulate appetite. Yes, it's going to have positive health benefits. But you know, so many people have uh, just in the last year and a half, two years, people have told me, well, I, I saw this about cannabis. I started using it. I thought everything was going to be fine, and now it's just gotten worse. And see, this is the thing that we have to, we have to make sure people are aware that there is no such thing as, pan, uh, as, as, as a panacea. And mm-hmm. some of the companies that are promoting cannabis, I think it's great, and I've recommended it to certain person, uh, patients, but the problem is that certain people that are promoting it are promoting it as a panacea for all diseases, everything from autism to cancer. And I personally think that's irresponsible, and it's mm-hmm. giving people uh, misinformation, just like a well, drug or anything else. That, you know, Way to throw a wet blanket over a rolled, lit joint. Way to go, my friend. <laughs> no, it, that's a, that's so, it, really, that's a very important message because, you know, our message has been from the beginning that we have to look at all of the causes. And, you know, that's why I mentioned your, your, your book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, because of all of these aspects of toxicity, we, call, we talk deficiency. And it's not one thing. And although we would acknowledge the role of the creator in creating plants as medicine, herbs, for instance, uh, we're not disputing that. The point is, how do you use it in proper context? to facilitate even more healing, or in the case of those that are suffering tremendously, instead of becoming addicted on opioid uh, drugs, for instance, opioids. So there's a place for it, exactly, but the idea Absolutely. is... Absolutely. Yeah, it's not. Just do Absolutely. that, nothing else. That's ridiculous. No, that's, well, no, that's not our yeah. message. And that's what some people have been told. You know, they've, mm-hmm. they've come and they've told me that this is what a, a representative from a certain company had said, this or that. So 
for pain, exact for one thing, for pain, I think it's it's definitely something that should be used in the beginning before you start using other types of narcotics. Uh, I recommend that for appetite stimulation. I think it's a good thing for relaxation. If it's going to mm-hmm. benefit a person, I, I have no problem with it. I don't I don't rule um, base. I don't think that anything should be ruled as bad or good. I don't think they are good or bad things. I think that there's always choices. There's everything that has a um, a balance, and we need to come into this with our eyes wide open and look for the balance. Everything is about balance, right? So anything in extreme is going to be bad. I was asked once in South Africa when I was giving a lecture about, um, I kept on talking about water, hydration, and this and that, and they said, well, there is such a thing as overhydration, isn't there, Dr. Buttar? You know, you can do too much water. And I said, yeah, it's called drowning, right? (laughs) So uh, from from that extreme, anything too much water (laughs) would drowning or too much of of exercise, you know, people that, uh, runners that die of... um, Lactic dehydrogenase levels of runners that have excellent, you know, marathon, two marathons, no problem, and they suddenly die. Why do they die? The cardiovascular system is supposed to be perfect, but they went too extreme. Is that lactic dehydrogenase levels built up too much? So, again, everything should be in balance, and if you're going to use the cannabis for a specific reason to help you in your journey during your treatments of whatever else you're doing, then absolutely. Because people thinking cannabis is going to bypass the need for a proper diet or to yeah. remove sugar or to, you know, it's, it's just, it's ludicrous. But people have been led to believe that. Well, exactly. And, and I think, again, this is the, the place where we do advanced medicine for that reason, to put perspective on these uh, so-called natural options that we would like you to, to lean toward, if not, if not embrace it in total. Because in this case, maybe if you live differently, you won't need the other interventions that can be very life-threatening, even though they can become uh, perhaps temporarily life-saving when we talk about appropriate use for medicines in that way. Dr. Batar! Safe journey, my friend. you got to catch a flight, and we're going to see you in a couple of weeks at The Truth About Cancer. That sounds great. I didn't know we were already done. I thought we had one more segment. No, we have one more hour, but you got to go. Oh. What are we going to do? Awesome. Tell them what they need to know, because we we got to go. The power to heal is unequivocally yours. The Robert Scott, the Bell, Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. 